The reading tonight is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, starting at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Thank you, Steph, very much. Okay, look, you've um, you've been talking to me now for for months uh, about Christianity. Uh, I'm now on Alpha. And I can see that Jesus died for me, and I can see that the resurrection happened. I'm okay to uh, agree to that. But what I want to know now is this. If I'm going to start following Jesus, what am I letting myself in for? So what's it like to follow Jesus? And also, what's it like not to? Well, this evening we're going to find out from that passage that Steph read for us. So let's pray and ask that God would answer those two questions and would speak to us tonight. Father, please would you uh, open our minds and open our hearts to the truth of your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Yes, so this evening... uh, know for sure what it's like to follow Jesus and also what it's like not to. 
And just a reminder, Luke's gospel is written for a guy called Theophilus, someone who's a, a, a God-fearer, someone who believed in God, who had heard about Jesus, wanted to be sure about what he had heard. And it's written for people like Theophilus, people maybe like you, who have heard about Jesus are making their minds up and want to be sure about what it is that they have heard. And this evening we're thinking about what it's like to follow Jesus so that we can be sure what it's like to follow Jesus, but also what it's like not to. Now, the main bulk here in verses 17 to 26 are talking about blessings and woes. We're going to come on to those first. But first, we've got this little chunk from verse uh, 12 to 16, which uh, it's it's, uh, about the calling of the 12 apostles. Now, Jesus went up a mountain to pray away from everyone on his own, and he spent the night praying to God. And uh, uh, there are a number of little things here which are actually quite significant in terms of the example that Jesus gave us and some, some little applications, or probably quite big applications actually. So for instance, when you pray, do you find yourself getting distracted? Maybe because of the place you're in, or maybe because, say, you've got your phone with you or something like that. They're very distracting, aren't they, if you've got your phone with you. But Jesus here, he went up a mountain. I reckon that means he was getting away from it all. He was getting away from people. He was getting on his own. He was making sure that he wasn't going to be interrupted. So if you're going to pray, work out the best place where you're going to pray, and make sure as far as you can that you're not going to get interrupted by it. Maybe go to a different room. Maybe find a separate place, whatever it is. I know it's difficult, especially if you've got young children or whatever. Uh, Maybe you need to choose a different time of day, whatever it is. But do what you can not to be interrupted. Jesus got away from people to go and pray. And he spent the night praying to God. So actually, long times, being committed to praying is actually, as we can see there, a a significant thing. But as he's praying, what do you think he's praying for? Now, all the the commentary type books that I've read on this, they, they all say the same thing. They say, of course, Jesus was praying for who he was going to choose. Because he then goes on to actually choose the, the 12, the 12 apostles. Well, I'm sure that came into it. And I'm sure it's a really good idea to pray if you're facing a big decision. So, for instance, if you're you're coming up to a point where you're going to move or something like that, and you need to find a new church, then pray about that big decision and buy a house near a decent church. That's a really good thing to do. But pray for wisdom for that. So if you're coming up to a big decision about a job or a uni course or something like that, pray about the big decision. I'm sure Jesus was praying about that decision when he went up that mountain to pray. But I reckon there's more to it than that. Because it seems to me that actually Jesus was most likely praying for who he would choose, and then I'm sure he would have spent some time praying for the people who he was going to choose including Judas Iscariot. I'm sure he was praying for those guys because he was choosing people and apart from Judas, the 11 were going to outlast Jesus. They were going to establish the first churches. They were going to formulate the gospel and take this gospel to the world. They were going to be the leaders of the early church. They had a huge responsibility. So another little application, do pray for your leaders. 
It's really important to pray for your leaders. To be a Christian leader is an enormous responsibility and our strength is small and our weakness is great. And all our leaders are desperately in need of your prayers. So do pray for us. Do pray for me in our leadership. Now the 12th, look at verse 13. When morning came, this is a bit like, it, it seems, well it's not like a primary school football team, but you, you can see here what's going on here. Morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him. That is, the, the great big numbers of disciples, followers of Jesus, he called them to him. And from amongst that group, he called 12 apostles. He called the twelve, verse 13, whom he also designated apostles, the sent ones. And, uh, uh, and these people were, were in for a significant responsibility of taking Jesus' mission forward. Um, there are not a lot of details here, but, and I'm not going to go into lots of details now because I want to go on to the next section. But the significant thing here was these were ordinary guys. Four of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One of them, Simon the Zealot, that means that he had taken part in probably some kind of armed uprising against the Romans. So it was quite interesting that he was there amongst the twelve, and so was Matthew, who was actually had been as a tax collector working for the Romans. So it had been quite an interesting kind of group dynamic with those two around, wouldn't it? be interesting to see how they got on. But the ordinary thing was, with these guys, they were really just very ordinary people. At the moment, Joe Biden is putting together his administration for when he is inaugurated as the next president of the United States on January the 20th. And there's no doubt that he is choosing the best, he's choosing the most capable, he's choosing those who with good reputations, he's choosing people with experience, he's choosing the people who are most qualified. But when Jesus chose the 12 here... Well, none of those would have been on Joe Biden's shortlist, for instance. I mean, the book of Acts, chapter 4, they're, they're described as uh, unschooled, ordinary men. And Abraham Lincoln, who was uh, president of the United States, um, 1850, something like that, and, and he said this, God must have liked ordinary people because he made so many of them. And I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounce dependence on their natural abilities and resources. Yeah, I think two of the most exciting things that have happened at BH since I've been here um, are Mark Davy and Daniel Chapelar. Uh, Mark, the original white van man from Eastbourne. Daniel, the original supermarket worker from Hurst Pierpoint. And both went off to theological college. Mark is now a vicar in South London. Daniel's looking for his first job next summer. And we're delighted. Many of people in the world around us might have thought of Mark and Daniel being ordinary guys. And we know they're not just ordinary guys. We know uh, that they're also very special guys. And we're very proud of them because God has used them here 
And they're men who are humble. Humble before their maker and their saviour. Humble men who God has used hugely. So please don't think that you're just too ordinary for God to use you. God specialises in using ordinary people like you and me. People who follow Jesus and people who are humble enough for him to use. So what's it like to follow Jesus? And I want to go on to these blessings and woes now that start in verse 17. The first point is this. To follow Jesus can mean pain, but there is blessing. To follow Jesus can mean pain, but there is Blessing. So we're looking now at verses 17 to 26. And first, verse 17, he went down, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. And then there's a large crowd. You can see a kind of funnel thing happening here. So there's a large crowd. Within the crowd there are disciples. Within the disciples, there's a bunch of now a little group, 12 apostles. There's a funneling happen here. Now, um, when it says uh, a level place, it could be translated plateau, but actually it says in verse 17, Jesus went down with them. And what you see here, some people say, well, this is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. So clearly this is the same event. Matthew wrote his bit and Luke wrote his bit. Don't believe a word of it. I really don't believe that's the case at all. For a kickoff, this is not up a mountain. It could be translated plateau, as I mentioned in verse 17. But actually, Jesus went down. And it says, in a better translation, it's on a plane. Also, Luke's version is much shorter than Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Also, uh, apart from being in a different place, uh, there are woes here which aren't mentioned in Matthew at all on the Sermon on the Mount. Also, this is much more stark and kind of physical than what happens in the Sermon on the Mount. The understanding of it is different. And, And anyway, why couldn't Jesus say some broadly similar things in two different places to different groups of people? Now, I believe clearly that this is a separate occasion. And there's a large crowd of people here. They're interested. They're curious. And some extraordinary things are going on. So you look in verse 17. A large crowd of his disciples were there. And a great number of people from all over Judea. From Jerusalem. From the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Who had come to hear of him. And be healed of their diseases. Now look what happens. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him. Because power's coming from him. And healing them all. Healing them all. Or just extraordinary things what was going on. But it almost seems to be as if that is just kind of incidental. Well, yes, of course, that was Jesus, the saviour of the world. That's the kind of thing he did. But what I really want to tell you about, Luke is saying, I want to tell you what it means to follow Jesus. And I want to tell you what it means if you don't follow Jesus. Because Jesus here took the opportunity to teach his disciples... His followers, that is, including the twelve, the twelve apostles, what it means to be a follower. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. So they would know what it's like. So they would know if they'd begun following him. They would know what they were in for in the long haul. So you see at the beginning of verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said... So these words are spoken to those 
who are followers of Jesus. People who will be tuning in, who would call themselves Christians, who are here in the building tonight. These words are spoken for all of us, as well as for them then. They're speaking to all those who would follow Jesus now. And it's, this is the first thing. To follow Jesus, it can mean pain, but there is blessing. So let's look at verses 20 to 23. And uh, the emphasis here, it's really important to understand it right. The emphasis here is on the present tense. So uh, it says here, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. Present tense. Now, some people say that this is spiritual. In other words, poor, hungry, weeping spiritually. But when you look at it carefully, I just don't think that's what it means here. It may be more like that in the Sermon on the Mount, but not here. This is much more physical. This is much more now. This is much more the reality of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. What he's saying here is this. Jesus is saying, look, some of my followers can be poor, going to be hungry, they're going to be weeping now. And some of my followers will become poor and hungry and weeping soon, perhaps. Either because of persecution or because perhaps a, a deliberate choice to lay aside their riches because they're not so important anymore and willing to live a poor Life, perhaps even a hungry life, perhaps even a weeping life for the sake of the gospel. So others may hear about Jesus choosing to go to other parts of the world and forego all the kind of riches that we know of day by day here in Hove. We've pushed this book just recently, the Cambridge Seven. And it's a great, if you haven't got it and you haven't read it, I really recommend this book. I've uh, sat down and read that. The last guy to be mentioned here is this guy C.T. Studd. He was the best all-rounder in the English cricket team at the time. And what happened to C.T. Studd is a bit like Ben Stokes, who is the best all-rounder in the world at the moment, plays for England, giving it all up and going off to China for the sake of the gospel. And C.T. Studd, he left all that fame, all the wealth, all the recognition, all the, all the possibilities, all the potential he had for the future for the sake of the gospel, to go to a country where they'd probably never heard of cricket. And before they went, these seven guys did a kind of, they did tours around the country to go and tell people what was going on. They were, they were famous for their decision to lay these things and leave those things behind. And some of the things that C.T. Studd during that time, with, with, well, here's a couple of them, he said this, for instance, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, nothing is too hard for me to do for him. And then on another occasion, he said this, be extravagant for God or the devil, but for God's sake, don't be tepid. Well, some Christians are well off compared with uh, other parts of the country. We're all incredibly well off. It's not saying we uh, have to go and sell our houses and 
live in poverty. I mean, Abraham was rich, Job was rich, for instance. But Jesus is saying, disciples may be poor, they may decide to be poor, they may be made poor by persecution or by, by being uh, discriminated against because of our faith. We may be hungry, we may weep now. Or we may become poor, hungry and weep later on. Perhaps by a particular decision that we make, make to lay aside those things. Or because of perhaps discrimination against us. And Jesus says, if that's your lot, you are blessed anyway. Because yours is the kingdom of God's. The greatest treasure this world affords. You'll be satisfied, he said. You will laugh. Well, you're given because you're a Christian and the kingdom of God always outweighs, it far outweighs anything that you ever give up for Jesus. God is never, ever any man's debtor. Never. And then just a word on verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. The word exclude literally means to excommunicate, as in to banish you from the synagogue, or to banish you from the church, or to say you're no part of this rugby club any longer, or you're no club of part of this club that we're part of, or you're no part of this friendship group any longer. You're banished, you're separated, you're kicked out. And Jesus says this, these kind of things can happen because of the Son of Man. Because of our faith in Jesus. Once there was a man who built a little airship. And he was a Christian. He decided that what he would do was uh, to uh, fly his airship over the local area and it would uh, trail behind it various evangelistic banners saying things like, God loves you, Jesus died for you, God so loved the world and so on. And everyone in the local area thought it was okay. He was known and fine It was, uh, uh, and it was uh, quite nice to see it really. Then one day he thought, I know what I'll do, don't seem to be making a lot of progress, um, is I'm going to fly a bit lower and I'm going to equip my airship with some uh, great big speakers and I'm going to preach to people below. <laughs> Let's just say they didn't like it. And that night, the airship was vandalized together with the sound system, and it never flew again. He labeled it persecution for my faith. Or you might just uh, label it a bit of retaliation for crass insensitivity, thoughtlessness, and having obnoxious traits in your personality. I don't know. But sometimes people will hate us for no other reason though, than that we're Christians. That's what it says there in verse 22. And they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil just because of the Son of Man. It is our responsibility to make sure they don't do that because we're stupid or crass or insensitive. But sometimes it will happen just because of Jesus. Just because we name him. Just because we love him. It still hurts. But Jesus says, look at verse 23. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. So their ancestors treated the prophets. Leap for joy. On the holiday over the summer, uh, our Ben proposed to his girlfriend, Katie. When they got back to the cottages, we were staying, and Katie got out the car, and she was literally jumping for joy. Wonderful. It doesn't just happen on football pitches. And Jesus is saying, if you're a Christian, no matter what you go through, 
You too can jump for joy every day. You may be poor. You may be hungry. You may be weeping. Those things may have been imposed on you by other people. Or you may have decided to give things up and so on. Uh, You may be excommunicated from any group or friendship group that you were in and so on. And Jesus, and you might be called evil. But if people do that, if you're a disciple, then yours is the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you will be satisfied. You will laugh. You will be in heaven. Jump for joy. Because to follow Jesus, it can mean pain, but there is blessing. Be sure. There is blessing. Jump for joy. Now, the second key point, and uh, I'm going to spend less time on this, is this. Not to follow Jesus. It's a very different story. Not to follow Jesus can mean comfort now, but there will be pain then. And we're looking at the woes in verses 24 to 26. When you cast your eyes over verses 24 to 26, what is missing here? Well, what's missing is this. There's no reference here to any spiritual life at all. There's no, there's no reference to anything other than the, the here and now, other than how I can feather my nest now, how I can make this life as good as it possibly can be now. So verses 24 to 26, they're all about life, which is uh, all about being well off, verse 24, being well fed and enjoying life, verse 25, and uh, having a good reputation and perhaps being envied, in verse 26. And for many, you know, that is exactly, in fact, precisely what life is like. It's what we aim for. I don't know if you noticed 10 days ago that uh, Elon Musk, as in Mr. Tesla, uh, is now the second richest person in the world. Net value, 140 billion Pounds. He's overtaken poor old Bill Gates. He's only worth now 129 billion. But he's still got some way to go because Mr. Amazon himself, Jeff Bezos, who must have done very well out of lockdown, he's on 187 billion pounds. I mean, those numbers are just boggling, aren't they? But who hasn't at some time kind of thought, what must it be like to be Jeff Bezos? or Bill Gates, or Elon Musk. But if our only aim in life is just to be rich, and in achieving all that, Jesus says, you've already received your comfort. If our only aim in life is to live the life, to be happy, to live for your next holiday, Jesus says, You will go hungry. You will mourn and weep. If you are the envy of all your family and your friends and your neighbours and everyone admires you, take care. Because that's how people reacted to the false prophets centuries before Jesus. And they now exist in a lost eternity. Verse 24 is significant. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Have is a word that's used for full payment. 
for something. So Jesus is saying that if you merely set your heart on being wealthy, you may get everything our world values, but Jesus says that's all you'll ever get. You've had it in both senses of that word. You've had it in terms of you've received it now. And when you look to the future, Jesus said, we might as well have said, mate, you've had it. You've had it when you look to the future. Jesus telling us that you can have everything this life can give you. But if you're not a disciple, you will lose it all eternally. And the reality of hell, where there is no comfort, everlasting hunger and mourning and weeping, will tragically be yours. You need to be a disciple of Jesus. You must be a disciple of Jesus. It can mean pain, struggle, loss, rejection, persecution, difficulty, poverty, and all that now. But Jesus says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. To follow Jesus can mean pain, but there is glorious, eternal blessing. Not to follow Jesus can mean comfort now. Of course it can. But there will be, if that is all your life is, there will be pain for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the saviour of the world. And for all who follow you, we know, Lord, life can be difficult for Christian people. To be a disciple, though, is the most, has the most wonderful promise of the most extraordinary and wonderful and beautiful future. And so, Lord, please help us all to be your disciples for your namesake. Amen.